Coca, su naray, su naray en ti. 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 Hello, hi, welcome to this episode of Mango TV. Today we have a good friend of mine that I love very much. His name is David Salomon. Hello, hello. David, um, David Salomon, Egyptian and indigenous Berber roots, born in London, is the founding steward of the world's largest forum for indigenous people, one of the leading voices in nation building in East Africa, Latin America, and Europe, Spirit First. Advisor to head of states, indigenous leaders, raised 3.4 billion for developing countries. He's a former Salomon Brother investment banker in fixed income, founder of the first Global Impact Summit for the Financial Times. Welcome, David. Hey, welcome, welcome. So, so as usual, allow me to um, make a little context on, on, on why David is here. As, as our listeners know by now, Mango TV was born more or less um, with the, our first project, which was 2012 Time for Change, um, based on Daniel Spinchback book. And that documentary was based pretty much on the idea that um, global transformation comes from personal transformation. And, and from there, our programming is structured around uh, psychedelic medicine, intimacy and sexuality, and regeneration. And, and in our DNA, there is this exploration of personal development and the connection with, with, with global development, with mass awakening, mm. with, with, with building community, with, you know, how can we live a better world? Our heart knows it's possible, as Charles Eisenstein says. So David seems to be the perfect person to talk about that uh, link between personal development and, and mass awakening, if you want. So why don't we start with the personal? Tell us a little bit, you know, how did we go? How did you go? How did you go from Salomon to indigenous wisdom? Ah, look at this smile. Look, you, you, you can't see the smile, but Giancarlo's smile lights up a room. And um, so how do we go from personal development to in indigenous wisdom? For, no, first your personal story. My personal story. From Salomon to, you know, okay. how, did you, how did you leave Salomon Brother, which was such a desirable place to be? Yeah, um, so that was the illusion that's sold to you. Um, I was studying economics at Warwick University. Uh, previously, I was like more of a mathematician, statistician. Uh, and um, really, you the, the best offers that you got at those times was from investment banks. And everyone was trying to get into investment banks and... You know, we didn't have any sense of a real purpose in life other than to go, let's make some money, let's, you know, get as much luxury as we can and, you know, live a good life. And so y you go into Salman Brothers and um, it really was hollow, you know. Which year are we now? So in 1999 uh, through to around 2003, 2004. And... Um, Really, I, I was disillusioned. Yeah. Uh, also, the market was choppy then. Uh, the market, 1998, when we came out um, of university, 
was the crash of long-term capital management, which was run actually by a guy from Salomon Brothers called John Merriweather, of whom the book Liars Poker is written. And so there's another book called When Genius Failed. So he gathered the biggest geniuses and they basically bet on the spread on the market. And what happened was, uh, here's the stats, <laughs> a five sigma event, something that doesn't happen in the normal uh, confidence interval of life. The black swan. Exactly. And so the Russia defaulted, Asia crashed, and we all lost our jobs. I had a job in AB and AMRO. And then O2, there was the... The, the the piercing of the um, internet in the dot-com bubble. Yeah, 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 exactly. So oh, my God, I, I remember that. The 97% of yeah. everything disappeared. So exactly. from Solomon <laughs> Brothers, from Solomon Brothers, it was like, okay, wow, I, I really didn't find what I wanted. Uh, and so I left. I, I just left. And I didn't have a lot of money at the time. Actually, I was just about to break through into areas that I wanted to develop and everything else. But I said, if I don't leave now, I'm going to be trapped in, in this journey. And from there, I went to um, actually uh, help orphans in uh, Indonesia. I went completely the other way. I studied martial arts. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a form called Walisongo Silat. It was the Nine Saints uh, Silat. Uh, and this art was my doorway into spirit. Uh, it was deeply disciplined. And, you know, there were things that I saw during that time that, that opened my heart to a journey of faith. You know, suddenly a pathway of miracles started to open up in front of me. And I was like, now, this is intriguing. Uh, so I gave up everything, including any income. <laughs> that feeling came from the joy of helping others. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I, I wanted my life to have uh, meaning and significance beyond uh, the, the pursuit of, of money. And I, I think what you find in life when you go deep enough down the journey is that the only thing that is worth anything is the journey of the soul. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, again, it's simple mathematics. You're gonna live, what, 80 years, 100 years, divide that number by infinity. Look, your, your, your soul, it's an, it's an eternal aspect of your being. It, yeah. it lives. Yeah. And so, yeah. It makes sense to me now completely, but you were on your 20s back then, and you probably left, you know, your friends and colleague, you know, you were like a precursor like that. You know, what, did, you, did you come from social service? Were your parents, were your family helping others? Um, not so much. There was a line of great sages in my family. On my father's side, there was, you look at the pictures and they look like they've stepped off, you know, uh, some kind of mystical set of Star Wars. Exactly. You know? So there was a seed there. There, there, was, there was a gene. I think you essentially embody, you like the branch on a tree, you know, everything that your ancestors and predecessors came before you, they live within you. So in many ways, you are the dream, you are the prayer uh, that, that they had. And so something happened to me in my 20s, which just pulled like I couldn't, I wanted to know. And it pulled with such a deep hunger that uh, I just, I wouldn't, I, I gave everything, my house, everything. 
I wanted to know. And, and it culminated in the end with a 40-day fast, a water fast in, in Egypt, where I said, either give me answers or, or let me die. So how, how, tell us a little bit the detail. Of when, how did the f- decision of the fasting come about and how did you practically implement it? <laughs> so the decision of the fast, it came through a dream. And so dreams are the, the flight of your soul. And uh, this the indigenous will tell you, your soul flies over uh, the future, over the past, over the present, and really tries to give you guidance as to whether you're taking the right direction in life. And in this case, it was a dream uh, in Egypt, uh, beneath the pyramids. I don't dream of past lives. I don't know much about past lives, so I can make no claims in those areas. But this was vivid, it was lucid. I was there, I was alive, and I looked very similar to what I do now. And so I said, I have to go. And so uh, from here, I'll tell you the story. It's quite interesting. So my, my teacher came to me and he said, look, I had a dream uh, as well that you were in Egypt and you wore a turquoise shirt. Yeah, sorry, but who was the teacher? He didn't mention the teacher. Okay, so <laughs> there was an Indonesian teacher uh, called Sat Guru Ma Prem. Mar knows. <laughs> she, was, uh, she would uh, hold a cigarette all the time and uh, she was uh, deeply intuitive. She could... Which, which tradition is that? Um, I would say it was more like esoteric mystery school. Um, but and then there was uh, her, her student who was also a great teacher and he was one of the great, greatest martial artists in, in the world. We had the people come from the Matrix and from Batman to learn and to fight with us. So I was fighting with um, Navy SEALs and these ones and that ones and winning, which was really strange because I'm not a big guy, you know, but the way he moved, the speed, everything. Uh, and so anyway, so he comes to me and, and he had very much mastered the art of, of, of walking through dreams to, to see uh, what, what would come. He said, wear a turquoise shirt. I said, okay. Anyway, so I just uh, gone through my divorce at the time. I had 300 pounds left in my bank account. Wow. That's it. I bought a one-way ticket to Egypt. And I said, this is going to have to be a journey of faith because for me to do a 40-day fast, that's not even enough money for the water. Yes. <laughs> so I get there, I've got my 300 pounds, I cross the border I, my, down. Uh, my sister say goodbye to her. And I, I go down across the border. And uh, strange enough, there's a woman on a, on a bus with the same name as, as, as my ex-wife. I, I just following little signs, silly little things. And I get to a place that's called Ras al-Shatan. Of all places, it's called, it means in Arabic, the devil's head. Wow. And in this place, Palestinians and Jewish people and Germans and French, they're all playing music and dancing and laughing and buying food for one another. And I was like, it, it was almost a joke, you know. Here in the devil's head, there is peace. And it's on tr- turquoise waters, and we're all laughing. And um, as I come with this turquoise shirt, uh, a man, a great poet from Egypt, uh, I think his book is called Songs to the Morning Horizon, uh, Sharif al-Hakim, he, he points me out and he says to everyone, there, over there, Turkiz, just like the mistress of Sinai. 
just like the goddess Hathor. Here in Sinai, we are all guests of the goddess Hathor. And what was so remarkable about this was he took me in then, and the uh, story goes on, but he's the one that, that provided the house, that I'd have a place to stay, which would overlook the pyramids uh, and the Sphinx for 40 days, and I paid 100 pounds for it. Wow. Uh, but why, why call the turquoise short? So, so um, the mines uh, next to the temple, which I later went to to do my fast, that's where I was heading, there were turquoise mines. So she was also, she was goddess of love, sexuality, celestial creation, but also of mining. Strangely enough, they had a goddess of mining. And uh, so the turquoise was uh, symbolic of her. Uh, and so we sat that, that whole day and we spoke and he was like, look, this man knows. And he, he, he gave me uh, guidance and his um, son, Karim, strangely enough, has just released a series on Netflix called Moon Knight, where he plays uh, the god of the moon in, in, uh, in Egyptology. It's very strange, and I'm just about going in documentary. But anyway, back to this story. Um, what, was, what was very strange that happened next was uh, we spoke for those two days, and they gave me all the guidance, everything that I needed you know, to, to make my journey. Um, how to get to this temple, uh, this temple in Sarabat al-Khadim. And now this temple, uh, in the early 1900s, when uh, the great-grandfather of archaeology, Sir William Flinders Petrie, was asked to go and prove the biblical record, uh, he released eight uh, studies, and the eighth one was banned. Uh, and this eighth one was about this temple, and it created a connection between the goddess and Judaism, and Moses, and the sacred bread of life, which is essentially a story unto itself, and psychedelics, and self-development, and everything else like that. So I'm going to skip forward, but um, one of the last things I'll say uh, uh, on, on the part in, um, in, in Sinai uh, was there were just very strange occurrences that kept happening. Uh, there was, I've never seen this before in my life, but uh, we were talking about uh, the wisdom of Tehute, the god of wisdom in, in ancient Egypt. And, and he teaches that man is a star bound to a body. Okay, so your evolutionary path from sperm to human to star to divinity is already contained within you. And so this whole thing, as, as I was saying that, lightning came across the sky and struck the place of the sun. In front of you. Yeah, 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 like several times. And everyone looked at it, and there was this guy, Yoni, Yonatan, who looked a bit like Jesus, to be honest, but it wasn't, obviously. And he points and he says, you won't get a clearer sign than that. Mm. What was so strange was there weren't clouds in the, the sky that we could perceive. You know, it was September. You know, it's Sinai. It's like 30 plus degrees. So anyway, so I went on this journey to Sarabit al-Khadim. Uh, sorry, uh, Go on. I thought you were going into a house for a 40 days fasting. It started in this temple. Okay. So I went to, um, I went to this, this village. It's two hours uh, deep into the desert over sand dunes. You just never find it. And then it's a three-hour ascent to a temple that's on top of a mountain. That was part of the fasting. Yes, that was my second day. Yeah. My second day. This fasting was designed by your Indonesian teacher. 
Uh, he had done it before. Yeah. And uh, there's a number of them that had done this fast, but this one I went secretly. Yeah. I told no one that I was going to fast yeah. because otherwise you are gaining the credit for yeah. something like, hey, I'm going to, I'm yeah. spiritual kind of, yeah. uh, I don't know what it's called, yeah. you know, displays. And so anyway, um, I went to this temple uh, and this, this was a big turning point in my life. It, it changed everything for me. I went alone yeah. and this was, I had a, an encounter, a, a direct physical encounter uh, with the goddess Hathor. Uh, so that was at the very beginning of the fasting, the first journey, the, yeah, the first so two days. It, what was very strange was, um, and this happens sometimes when someone embarks on a, a long fast, if they're fully committed to it, they, it the, the intention is honored from the start. And, and that was the most profound thing that happened during the fast. Other amazing things happened, yeah. but on the second day, um, and I don't necessarily want to get into that whole story now, but it's it it was an initiation, very unexpected. Um, it was really the decision to go ahead with it uh, could have cost me my life, uh, and I was very comfortable and at peace with that. Uh, so you felt like a, a divine support. You felt an, a divine acknowledgement. Um, I'd had several years of preparing before meditations and, and psychedelic journeys and, and um, you know, deep uh, ascetic practices. Uh, but um, this was the first time I'd felt the physical touch from the other side of the veil and not just once. Uh, and that really confirmed to me everything. Uh, at that point, I was like, my God, we have a soul. I, and I wept, you know, I mean, the, uh, this was, uh, you know, and this was a completely undeniable experience. There was no turning back at this point. That would be a mystical experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you did your fast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so how, how, you know, how was day 20, day 25, day 30? Okay, so um, day 21 was one of the worst days of the fast. I remember it well. It's the halfway point, and uh, I was writing a, a novel at the time, and um, I remember, you know, feeling desperately alone at that time, uh, and n not really knowing why I wanted to continue to the 40 days. And I received this... Uh, email from someone who is introducing my book to... So you had your computer. You yeah, he was like, I've got you a publishing deal. Da, 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 da. I'm gonna, I'm close friends with Rupert Murdoch and blah, 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 blah. I don't know if it's Penguin or whatever. And I write to him to send him an update uh, of my journey. And he writes back simple, simply, never contact me under any circumstances ever again. But you were uh, you were doing email on a twenty. At this point, you had eaten for twenty days. Oh no! I was going into the pyramids. I was physically training. I was, you know, some days you're dizzy. Sometimes you have more energy than you can ever imagine. Yeah, but engaging with the outside world via email on that state, do you think it was a good idea? Um, clearly no. <laughs> 
it was like it was like that was a shock to my system um because nobody knew that i was fasting and uh i i didn't know what was going on in this person's life he was just an asshole to be honest and and i was like wow um someone who'd used me for another reason um but anyway so i i you know i would spend several hours a day in meditation and reading and um yeah I, i i was completely not working during that time but i did send messages every so often uh to people you know just I, to stay in touch i see yeah so you finished your fasting and so what was your takeaway from this experience that you had to spend the rest of your life doing what so I think there are, are two aspects to um the journey of enlightenment because awakening as you know it's it's a many many layered process you know uh and the first part uh, you know as you your light within you starts to awaken and grow uh that's the most important part the, the aspect of self development but then something very strange happens you start to uh look at how you can do as much as possible for as many people as possible in in many ways and that's why so many people who have these spiritual experiences look at the regenerative movement they look at uh how to do things for humanity it's it's because you start to have a sense of oneness and a sense of deep empathy and you start to feel the pains of of humanity on a level which is is actually quite intolerable um uh, you know the the sorrow the the, the pain but also the and this journey of of uh, anyway back to the fast yeah, yeah this so. is super interesting though what you're discussing yeah. this idea that you know a mystical experience caused by this kind of deprivation or 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 psychedelic or you know any form of um, non ordinary state that feeling of uh, unity will then help developing compassion for other Yes, yeah, because fundamentally what you're doing is you're breaking open you, to your spirit layers of oneness. So yeah. as I I sit opposite you yeah. Giancarlo, yeah. really if I truly understand that there is no Giancarlo, there is no Solomon, both of these things are illusions. Yeah. Yeah. On a subatomic uh, uh, level this uh, has been proved actually. Yeah, yeah, well that's that's the amazing thing with quantum physics, yeah. you know, what it's proving and yeah. I'd love to hear actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, on yeah. a on a subatomic level, w- you know, we are all there is no separation. So this is fascinating to me. Um I think it's a little bit the core of what we're ex- trying to exploring in this podcast, this idea that you know, what does awakening means? This idea that awakening it's very layered that you know, spiritual growth is not a linear growing, you know, increasing line, but it's more it goes more into like, you know, block Um so yeah I'll let you continue with your story. <laughs> no that's that's beautiful. There's uh, something that I I read uh this morning and it, and it said know that in time all will be perfected having none above and none below but all one in a perfected infinity a harmony of all in the oneness of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I pause on this I pause on this why because so much of life can seem 
like a cruel game in many ways. And the sorrow and the suffering and the pain and the indignity and the, the, the strife and injustice. the injustice, the absolute injustice. And if there is truly a loving God, why not just completely obliterate this realm? Uh, because if I were God, I, I, I certainly wouldn't want this for my friends. I wouldn't want it for my enemies in some ways. Some of the ways humanity, certainly not Ibiza, Ibiza is a paradise, but some of the ways humanity exists. So you, you, there's a, a beautiful verse in, in, in the book of Thomas uh, that says, um, seek until you find. And when you find, you will be troubled. And when you are troubled, then you will be astonished and then you will reign over all. And this is really, really, really important because what, what you have to get to a po at a point in your spiritual journey is a full acceptance that, that the game is, is worthwhile uh, and that all the suffering, all the pain is pure gold for your soul. I mean, it is the, 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 the very sapphire wings of, of, of your being. It, it's, it's, it's giving you things, keys that you cannot get on the other side. It's giving you growth. It's giving you... And what is that growth? Um, there, it, it's almost unfathomable. A sperm cannot imagine what it is to be Giancarlo. Cannot imagine. What is the, sp the sperm? It ends up... <laughs> what is the life of a sperm? If it's lucky, it goes in. If it's unlucky, it's, you know... Uh, exactly. So, and Giancarlo cannot contend, cannot imagine what it means to, to the next stage to be a divinity, to be a star. Like in Egypt, they attend sun disk. Mm. What, what does it mean to, to be a star which gives life to planets around which its gravitational field pulls these planets with billions of beings which you can be any part of them, all of them, the, 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 the trees, the wind, the lovers, the, 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 all of it, you know. You, what does it mean to, to, to be that? What, what, what a stage of growth that is. What a... And, and then you start to step back in, in awe and wonder at the, at the goddess. You, you start to really, and, and this is like the, and this is where the psychedelic movement and, and ayahuasca and indigenous people reopening the door to divinity has changed everything because we get the experience of the divine. We get to, we get to glimpse, but the problem that I found is um, without the integration, the framework, we've almost lost the mythology of what's going on in humanity. We've lost the story. Uh, we've lost the understanding, you know. Mm. So let me, let, me, let me stay a little bit. Let me try to unpack this because this is a critical point of, um, you know, the, the spiritual awakening, this idea that, you know, sufferings are, you know, John Halifax, this meditation teacher, called them the lucky dark. Um, so just repeat for me in the book of Thomas, suffering, no, keep on searching. When you find, you'll be troubled. Troubled. And when you're troubled, what happens? You become astonished. You become astonished. And when you are astonished, you will reign over all. You're, okay. So what is this astonishment? Or oh, even before, what is this trouble? Oh, the trouble was 10 years of... of it, you knock for wisdom. Uh, obviously, as my name being Solomon, I... I they say uh, wisdom is more precious than rubies, more to be desired than gold and anything that the earth can offer. And I was like, great. <laughs> but 
what they don't tell you about wisdom is that wisdom puts you in, in difficult situations and then you have to discover the way out, how to turn. And so this troubled is the nature of reality. The nature of reality, I'm sorry, is deeply troubling. It's it, you... And, and this is an area where I, I've been blessed enough to be have some of the great mystery teachers that are, are just unreachable, really, really, really was in trust. And I don't speak of it. Why? Because uh, the, the true treasures of humanity, like in the silence, it's, it's counterintuitive. In the silence, you find the treasure. In the darkness, in the depths of, of, of the silent darkness, in the understanding of, of the nature of, of creation and reality, this, juxt this um, evil and good, why, why we're in this, it's, it's something that it has to come from the core of your soul, this understanding. Uh, and during that process, um, it's, it's, it's maddening. It's deeply troubling. The early stages of enlightenment, sorry, yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. They're like, yeah. wow, oh my yeah. God, yeah. it all yeah. exists. And, yeah. But once you start to unfold the nature of reality, you're like, dear God, this is terrifying. Yeah. But so how, how what advice do you have for our listeners? You know, what, what practical advice do practical. you have yeah. from the transition between the troubled state coming from the state of affair, the injustice, the pain, the misery. So how do you tran transit from trouble to astonishment? Okay. So whatever I say now, you have to experience it for yourself. And it has to come from within you uh, because the greatest teacher that exists is, is within you. You, you. you have everything that you're seeking, you already are. It's, it's within you. You cannot become perfection. You have perfection within you. So... The most important thing that I've discovered on, on this journey is the awe and astonishment of what you've been given. And this is, this is the key. So uh, all mythologies start with a search for origins. You try to understand your origin, your reason for being, and the, the reason for the universe. How did it all uh, come to be? And there's three perennial questions. Uh, who are we? Where do we come from? How do we make the most of it? So this where do we come from? Who are we is, is very central uh, because that determines how you make the most of it. And so when you understand um, uh, that much of the um, Abrahamic faiths and, and uh, I'm Jewish and it, it's sad for me to say, uh, we, we veiled the goddess. Uh, we suppress the divine feminine, uh, and this was taken to very extreme levels uh, with Christianity, the Malaeus Maleficarum, the burning of the witches, burning of innocent women. Um, what were we trying to suppress? Uh, power, the true source of power, the true source of who we are, because you can control people who don't know who they are. They can be sheep. If everyone's equal, you can't control them. You can't profit off them. You can't gain off them. And so the original story in the Gnostic texts that they, they wiped out all these texts, okay, the, the Cathars and the Bogomils, I'll get to the point, they killed hundreds of thousands of them, wiped them out to the last one. And the Conrad Marburg called back to the Pope and he said, 
uh, I can't tell the believers from the non-believers. What do you want me to do? He said, kill them all. God will know his own. And they literally instituted the book of Revelation. Which pope was that? Uh, uh, pope Innocent III. <laughs> Which year are we? I cannot remember the year right now, but I will check. Um, We'll put, we'll put it on the show now. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, they wiped out man, woman, child, cats, dogs, donkeys. They rode up to their breastplate in blood, the believers and the non-believers. And what were they trying to wipe out? There's the Nag Hammadi texts, uh, which is a collection of books, but there's two particular texts, the Apocryphon of John and the Hypostasis of the Archons. And these books tell the exact opposite story of the book of Genesis. And basically, as you start to unfold the mysteries, this is the be troubled part. What you come to, the astonishment is what was given to you. And so back to the goddess, everything in nature, uh, we're all born from the female. Okay, it's very strange if you think you're born from a male creator god. Okay, the original faiths were uh, nature based. They were goddess worship. We didn't know uh, that the male so much was impregnating Uh, how how is the woman was giving birth? She was the portal of how souls came into this world, mm. and so the goddess. The story that I've come to understand and know to be true is she was the primordial mirror, one, and she shattered her being, broke herself from one, into reality, into the primordial chaos, billions of pieces of fragments so that we would have life. From one, she created billions. And when you see it here, you don't understand it. When you see it at the end of time perfected, when you see that my friend Giancarlo, my good friends here, they are my eternal friends in, in an abode where we are divine in our nature and creation itself is completed, you you inherit the night sky, the very stars themselves. You, you, you're not a little guy trying to buy a, a flat in London beneath one person and next to another person, if you're lucky enough. You, you are the inheritors of the cosmos itself. So coming to terms with the magnitude, the absolute magnitude of what you've been given. And then the next part is, how do you make the best of it? How, and this is where we're now starting to scratch the surface as to the powers of the mind to manifest the life you want. We're coming to a degree of accountability and responsibility over the fact that our lives are determined by the garden of our mind. Wow. <laughs> so so why, why now? Why are we coming to this realization now? Uh, and why all this mystery school coincide around this moment in time being a moment of mass awakening. Why the Mayan, the Hopi prophecies, mm. the Indian Kala Yuga, the age of Aquarius, why they all point at this moment in time for a moment of awakening? So do you believe that? How is that coming about? Tell us a little bit about, let's move down the second part of the mm. conversation about this mass awakening. So. In taking a moment, um, we all uh, are, are governed very strongly by two forces on this planet. The sun, without which we would have no life, 
whatsoever. If the sun decides to go on vacation for a week, we're dead. We're, we're ball of ice. The moon governs the tides and the menstrual cycles uh, of, of women. They're so, there for creation. Yeah. And so you are between massive planetary bodies uh, that, given the point of time in which you are born, affect your character, your personality. You're, you're essentially, at the moment you're born, it's like a blueprint of the cosmos at that particular moment. Now, the cosmos itself, of which we inhabit a very tiny suburb, a tiny, tiny, tiny speck of dust, <laughs> of which we think, you know, Christians, we are the center, of, are the center yeah. of all cosmoses and all multiverses through which there is no life mm. and there is only Jesus. Mm. Forgive me, but let's, let's, let's be realistic and pragmatic here. And this point in time is uh, is is one uh, that uh, the the Hindu and the Vedic texts uh, they really you know they they speak of yugas and uh, different ages and different dispensations and everything else, but we're at a turning point, and it's not a hundred percent guaranteed, by the way, that we uh, evolve and ascend to the the next level. There is. There is a very strong downward force at this time. That's why you're seeing the polarization of humanity, which is hell-bent on our destruction. Mm -hmm. And so you have one force that's emerging, and, that's, and it's in the minority, by the way. It, it's not the majority. Uh, it's focused on quality. It's focused on these individuals are self-actualizing. But the mass of humanity is trapped in this vicious, horrible cycle. Sorry, 65% of people on the planet, or 62%, earn less than $10 a day. Only 15% earn more than $30 a day. So most of humanity is, is in a state of struggling to survive. A very few are, have had either the courage or the privilege uh, to truly um, develop themselves. And, and that's the fundamental problem with civilization. And that's why so many of us who awaken start to focus on civilization because we say, how can we help more people cross the line? You know, how can we, we're the icebreakers in many ways, but we're, we're building the stage. The next generation is the show. Hmm. So, so, so it's not a given that you know, Pinchbeck used to say that um, this end of the Mayan calendar is a tipping point in consciousness. That then, then um, you know, when, when enough people get awakened, if you want, then there is a mass awakening. But, you know, this is a concept which, you know, for most people is still very difficult to grasp. So how do you... How, how can it go both ways? So how can this polarization get worse and more inequality and um, climate change will create, I mean, now in London it's like 39 degrees. Hmm. Um, how are we going to avoid um, food shortage and, and, and uh, radical weather and, uh, and, and displacement of, of you know, Bangladesh and Maldives and all this, this country going underwater? How we gonna um, how we gonna instead going instead of towards destruction? How can we how can we really um, go towards a, a mass awakening and, and and create a more harmonious and just civilization, more in tune with nature operating principle, where there is no 
extraction and reduction and how 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 can we do that? <laughs> I know it's a big question. It's, 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 uh, it's a question I've asked, uh, as many of us have asked, uh, at least for the past decade. And, and the difference is uh, the action you take in the world uh, as well. It's, it's, it's wonderful to uh, have these beliefs internally uh, and to espouse them to friends and family. But what action are you really taking in the world? And how are you embodying these principles? How are you moving to a place beyond self? Okay, so how do we uh, start to, and there's two, two, two things that are very important here. One is what, is, what is the model that we want to see generations from now, you know, and how do we re reverse engineer back uh, from that? And at the same time, coming to an understanding of our accountability and our responsibility to collaborate, uh, we need models where we break down the division and the walls between us to rapidly collaborate. And the, the, the reason uh, we are out of time, we're not prepared for what's coming. Ten years ago, I was advising uh, the former heads of Israeli intelligence, governments, everything, that we needed to plan for a food systems collapse, for massive war, uh, for climate, for the collapse of fiat currencies. Now, people are starting to go, oh, this is realistic. Mm. Back then, uh, you know, who really was believing that that was happening? And the problem is we don't want to believe. We're escaping. Mm -hmm. We're afraid. Uh, and, and we're not stewarding our resources in, in the way that we should. And the, the problem is the, the indigenous, the Hopi, uh, and, and sorry, the Kogi elders were here just a few weeks ago, like essentially the Kogi Pope who stays 24 years in, in, in the ca cave. And he's like, you have four years mm. until shit hits the fan. And I don't think people quite understand what this means because World War I, before it was the Belle Epoque, people forget you know, uh, before uh, uh, the people were like, oh, war has gone away. War is, I've studied international relations. War is the natural state of man. It's in our heads. It manifests in our collective reality. And what you have is a collapsing of a very greedy system that at its core is severed from spirit, mm -hmm. that, that is essentially a form of slavery, a very complicated form of enslaving other people uh, to the wills of an economic system. And it's done with clever words like quantitative easing. Mm. Let's hit print. Let's fuck you over and steal money from your bank account. Governments are the most inefficient mm. corporations you can imagine. Okay, And if you look at the start to understand them as corporations that serve their populace, their people, you say, what the hell is this? A B2 bomber is two billion, okay? Two billion, a B2 bomber. We calculated that you can solve hunger permanently in Africa and create a multi-trillion uh, uh, sovereign wealth fund backed by re resources with between two to three billion, the price of a B2 bomber. Yeah, that's crazy. No, it's, so, so the crazy, so last point on this is here in Ibiza, 
Yeah, we get a sense that this island is a prototype, that something is emerging. And it's this sense of community, and this is really key. When they destroyed the doors to divinity, when they wiped out the Eleusinian mysteries, they also wiped out much of community. Sorry, who's they? So this was 392 AD, uh, Emperor Theodosius and Pope Theophilus at the time. So they wiped out all the mystery schools, including the last remnants of the great library of Alexandria, the Serapium, a four-year period. They wiped that all out. And by the way, at that same time, suddenly the book of Revelation appeared. The book of Revelation is very counter to the, the entire text. Wow. And it, there was earlier texts uh, from which it was taken. This is a very interesting thing. This was a complete control mechanism. We control the door to God. Uh, you know, there was even a thing, unless the talar clangs in your chest, you will by no means enter heaven. You had to buy your way to heaven. So money suddenly became, rather than character, mm -hmm. because what's, anyway, so yeah. please go on. Yeah, but so what were you saying? You were saying that, you know, before you mentioned um, the, the, the poor pope and the... And the the um, Kogi... You were the exactly, four years. Yeah, the four years, exactly. We, we um, so just to qualify what I'm talking about, we... When I, I advised on Iraq and Syria, yeah. uh, we, a year and a half ahead of time, said, prepare. There is uh, going to be a collapse in these countries. Yeah. We predicted the rise of ISIS. Uh, where I was working, yes, people don't like Tony Blair, Mike Milken. Yeah. These are two establish models that could create economic buffer zones on counter-fundamentalism. Why am I saying this? Because now, literally, uh, whether it's the Santo de Ame or whether it's the African uh, shamanistic leaders or the Amazonian leaders or Kogi, they, they, they come in crying. They're like children. Wake the fuck up. Yeah. Okay? Start getting prepared. You know, and so why, why do you think that the Kogi have, for example this knowledge because they are energetically in tune with the energy of you know they live in santa marta they have they they, they live in a mount in a, in a in a complete ecosystem from the snow to the sea so they have an understanding how how do they get this knowledge from so so with uh this one uh, individual in particular who's 104 years old and uh you know, is is beautiful soul, uh, and you know, is you, you shrink at that age, <laughs> and uh, he spent the first twenty uh, four years of his life in the cave. Uh, it's complete. It's sensory deprivation. So you become more in tuned to the divine. You become more in tuned because. Fundamentally, when you understand spirituality, you understand that this is a garment. If you understand it better, it's a clay vessel, mm. and the clay vessel restrains the soul because you think it's you. You identify with this as your reality, whereas he's not identifying with that reality. He's going into the soul and from there into the spirit. And the spirit sees over all time. And you have this experience in your dreams. They have just mastering the science. Of, it's a science, basically. And uh, so with that, what you come to understand that the spirit uh, inhabits beyond time as well. And so when you go to these realms, uh, it's, this should be common practice, okay? We should be able to, through the journey of our soul, have guideposts for our life. But we dismiss this stuff so much uh, that you need indigenous elders 
who spent 24 years in a cave to come back with messages from us and still we ignore them mm-hmm. because the, the truth about this is nobody believes in prophecy anymore. Yeah, but so so, I would like to go back to your to your train of thought when you were saying the indigenous people, the Kogi, they warn us we have four days left. Uh, 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 a submarine be bomber or something is the price of what we need to uh, eradicate hunger in Africa and create a, a um, productive system. Um, and then and so so what what are we gonna do? <laughs> What are, we, what are we going to do? Okay, so those of us who are becoming more and more aware, pretty much the people you bring to your podcast, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing those types of souls, those types of in, individuals. Uh, they're seeing eye to eye. We need to have a local plan and a global plan. And uh, we're starting to see that most of us have the same plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're, you have to do is have a vision that's greater than any one individual or corporation or organization into which you can individually grow and collectively grow greater than you ever could alone. Um, And so a lot of that relates to um, narrative. It relates to structure. Um, It's it's a process now that's, it's going to happen anyway. Can I tell you something? In World War II, um, the US government became essentially allies with a mafia so that they could have access with the ports. Okay, we are going to, by necessity, start collaborating on a massive scale because it's going to be so self-evident. So what we can do is take responsibility and say, okay, how are we going to start sooner so it's not a mad rush because these things take time. We need to uh, prepare our food systems We need to massively prepare our food systems locally. We need to remove import dependence. Uh, We need to secure our supply chains in resources, not just in food. Um, And we need to also, from a perspective of personal self-development, in terms of how we work together, there's, uh, we need a lot of support uh, from the best in the field to help us see past our shadows, see past our blind spots. Um, you know, look to one another yeah. truly as brothers, as a community. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is key. So you said all these very important things. So a resilient food system linked to regenerative agriculture, um, localization, and 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 continued working on 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 this alignment between mind, mind, body, and spirit. You know, try to to really identify the blind spot. Yeah. And 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 being in service but so how so how 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 can we do that um so in ibiza this is happening yes it's it's happening it's emerging i wouldn't say it's fully happening yet so we still have 96 percent uh import dependence uh, of food we are so we're working on two projects here one is the local one is the global so ibiza is is a prototype on a small level of what can be done in developing countries. Yeah, um, but this is key, guys. I hope you're catching that. You know, Ibiza is a prototype of what can happen on a small case to developing country. It's a very important laboratory, so listen up. <laughs> this laboratory is, it's, it's there in the sense that all of us, this isn't our plan, this isn't our story. 
all of us who've had these encounters with the divine, uh, there is a plan. Nature has a plan. The goddess has a plan. And we are moving like pieces on a chessboard, aligning. But let's get practical, okay? Uh, you could remove the import dependence of much of the products on the island uh, with a five-hectare warehouse, believe it or not, with the most advanced uh, agricultural uh, uh, technologies you can imagine. Uh, at the same time, we're working on a Marshall Plan with seven countries in Africa, 300 million people uh, working with one of Africa's leading banks, deploying six billion of capital on, uh, there's already 1.2 million smallholder farmers have been affected. And uh, these efficiencies that we develop in the lab can go to a much larger scale. So what we succeed at doing here, and I, I, we run the World Indigenous Forum, the largest forum for indigenous people globally, is linked into 90 countries. So how does the blueprint, the prototype of what we're doing here, go to all these other countries? And it needs to move you know, it needs to, and what you're going to see is a bit of a, a J-curve situation in that money is, is starting to now flood towards this because of the Ukraine war has shown how vulnerable our food systems are, 30% of wheat. The DRC lost 69% of their wheat. 27.2 million people are now in crisis and hunger just in the DRC. Hmm. Yeah, this is very interesting. Another Ibiza resident who's an intellectual and a system theorist, a friend of ours called Rory Power, says that the two Im most important words today is grow food. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there is several organizations in these islands that are doing what we call regenerative agriculture, which is basically based on integrating animals and uh, ro rotating crops in order to um, maximize the health of the soil with biodiversity that then will increase the health of the plants, that then will increase the health of the animals, that then will increase the health of the human's microbiota. And, and, and you know, Ibiza is 500 square kilometer and only 8% is, uh, uh, is uh, farmed regeneratively. There are several projects like Terra Viva, like Terra Masia, like Camusón, like Juntos, and they're really um, using similar methods to regenerate the land, which then will absorb more CO2 and retain more water. Um, and, and so this is something that, you know, we, all, we already have Christian uh, Japnik from Juntos in the website, in the in the podcast, we, we focus on his psychedelic confession, but we're going to maybe invite him back to, to hear more about Juntos. Um, so the all this idea of what can we do practically this to, is it. yeah. This is it. And so years ago, we started to plan for this. Cultivate every available piece of land. Okay. There were posters during World War II uh, which was a table with, uh, held up by a spade, uh, you know, a shovel, and, mm -hmm. and it said, you know, like grow food, like exactly what you said. And so what's the model? Uh, we went uh, back several years ago to Sergey Brin, Sheryl Sandberg. We started to look at how to digitize the entire, all available land globally. Uh, and we looked almost like at an Airbnb for gardens. Take the idea, run with Airbnb it. Airbnb for? Gardens, basically. Oh, wow. Anyone can upload their land. Okay, what you get as the landowner is you get 
the produce is grown on your land, you get a part of the income, you get the increase in the appreciation of the land value because it's being grown and you're creating jobs. Okay, so look at this. There's no reason for you not to join. Now you start to have an education and training system where anyone, we looked at ATV, this agricultural TV, the best skills in the world in, in all the types of growing, they uh, were training the farmers and they had 10% of any farmer that was implementing their method. And so suddenly you've got massive mobility of labor. You look through your goggles, you stare at the land and you can see coins there in the distance. And if you are a four or five star qualified farmer, you can go over there, you can start planting, you can do the thing, you can collect the digital coins. Okay. You screw it up, you have to give them back. But there's this this metaverse world. There was no metaverse back then. So what does the future look like? And we broke it all down to a pixel. And you can shift everything, any pixel, from red to green. Mm. So the entire global map. And then what happened was you're looking at, uh, at big groups and they're saying, I want recognition on the map. So suddenly ego became a good thing. Mm. You know, we want to have our thing. But the, the problem was, and we were speaking with the UN World Food Program and everything, the speed with which we're moving. This is a mobilization effort because we've got climate famines going to hit. We've got issues with um, war, with currencies, with inflation, with destabilization. This now needs to be everyone can play. Everyone can get involved. Let's get going. Uh, and it, and Ibiza is that, that beautiful prototype where people from developing countries can come. They can walk through Juntos. They can walk through Terra Viva. They can walk through uh, Tierra Iris. They can see these. And what the big difference in Ibiza, just to get this straight, there's a big difference between growing food and the way Ibiza does it. Why? And this is the key thing with indigenous people. When we ask them, how do you want to build your civilizations? They said, we don't recognize any of the Western models. All our models begin spirit first. Mm. And you see, we know from Masaru Emoto and others that the effect of the sacredness of land affects the consciousness of the food, affects the consciousness of the eater, affects mm. the consciousness of humanity. You've got a, a regressive cycle where in some cases you're, you're having prison conditions for growing food and you're eating that slavery, mm. basically. Um, mm. You know, groups like Nestle, uh, who their chocolate, yes, 98 billion in revenues. Let's all be scared. Uh, the, 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 the church who gathers 85 billion a year, uh, 2.3 trillion in aid into Africa. Really, people, enough with the greed. Enough. Yeah. 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 I was reading that um, the U.S. government spent two and a half billion on vaccine support and the CEO of Moderna is getting a golden parachute of one billion. What the? But so, but so yeah. anyhow, I think that um, what we are concluding with now is a series of practical application, which you explained very clearly, which is both practical and also emotional, intellectual, which is, you know, this awareness, you know, one, one we have done your work, on your childhood trauma and, and you take your triggers as, as, as indicator of some sort of psychological knots that need to be addressed. Once, once you do this work of just like, you know, slowing down and, 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 and being in touch with, with your gut without, you know, being 
sedated or, or numbed or intoxicated, that clarity that you can get with a visualization practice, a meditation practice, um, all kind of breathing or dancing or psychedelic, with that awareness and that clarity, you can then feel this connection with the food and the food cycle and the importance of growing your own food if you can or buying from local sources and trying to foster as much as possible your local community and, and, and protect yourself from the climate famine you were saying by producing locally, protecting from the energy increase with possibly having your own solar panel, your own independent electricity sources, and, and then connecting with your community. Ibiza, unfortunately, is becoming very expensive. In the last six months, four <coughs> permaculture that I know had their rent quadrupled mm. because homeowner in Ibiza can make more money with the tourists. So this four, we, we lost this incredible knowledge. You know, they have to leave the islands. So uh, we had Matthias Milani here on the podcast. Mm. This idea of like, you know, having a community, 15 friends living together, it becomes more sustainable. You can share the rent, you can, sh you can really grow your, your food. Mm. You can, you know, mirror each other on a community level. Um, this, you know, I think com building community might be one of the tools we have. Absolutely. I, I think what you said, you touched on so many beautiful things there. And I think one of the most important one uh, was you said, we dance together. Mm -hmm. We have fun. Mm -hmm. This is really overlooked mm -hmm. in, in, in the spectrum of uh, economic development. We asked uh, Queen Diambi, who chairs our uh, forum, uh, we said, how is it that your people survived for thousands of years uh, and through slavery, through colonialism, through all the horrors that have been inflicted in the Congo. And she, you know what she answered? Because we dance. Wow. Do you know what? Wow. What? What? Wow. Because, uh, you know, and this hit me when I came here during uh, COVID. What was the biggest movement for food? It was live aid, right? And th all they got wrong is they didn't understand that it wasn't aid they needed. Africa wasn't poor and in need of saving. It was rich in need of empowering. Mm. But this dance, this music, give it another shot. You know, come back. Mm. Bring back the song of this age. Bring back the dance of this age. Bring back the way that we connect on the streets, that we liberate ourselves from these shackles and give people the tools. Because I tell you where, where humanity needs to go. We need to drive the cost of living to zero. Mm. We need to liberate people from the shackles of working to survive mm. so that they can work to thrive. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. But I mean, we can do that in the Mediterranean area, but how, you know, people in the, you know, with less climate country, how can they, in Norway, and I think in Scandinavia, how can people survive growing food? <laughs> I mean, they can go fishing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and let's take one of the worst countries, um, you know, let, let's go back to Congo a second, yeah. yeah. Uh, terrible situation. Longest running conflict since World War II. Uh, Patrice Lumumba, their great leader, uh, you know, the first kind of almost socialist leader, uh, was uh, murdered and then put in a vat of acid. I think only a few weeks ago after however many decades, yeah. his thumb was buried or some small part of his body. So 
DRC has 24 trillion in assets in the ground. It's the richest resource nation on the planet, okay, yet suffers the most conflict. So this greed, this inherent greed at the core of our systems, I think we need to stop um, looking at Africa as somewhere over there, as lesser people, as this racist kind of thing that's carried over from colonialism. We need to stop playing the game of colonialism, this big con uh, that we've been running for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And we need to realize that our survival depends on, on their success. And so how, how do we do this? We take the best of what we have and we demonstrate it in as many small pockets as we can. And, and that starts to thrive, that starts to grow. Uh, Congo's like many times larger than France. You know, there's places which, you know, you have the Aka people, uh, you have the earlier, uh, earliest people of um, Bess, this island, sorry, is named after Bess, uh, Ibosim, 654 BC. Bess was a god of joy, of dance, of sex, of childbirth, of agriculture. Uh, you have this, this diminutive being who appears in all these temples around the world that was our earliest ancestor, one of the earliest humans to wake into divinity. So how do we do it? Bring back the sacred, bring back the celebration, bring back community, as you said, and localize, do it beautiful, do it small, but many, many, many times, but drive the costs, drive the cost to zero because many small, sorry, there are 618 million smallholder farmers. They provide 80% of the world's food, food supply. In the world? In the world. How many? 618 million. 80% mm. of the world's food supply. Solve it for the one farmer. Mm. Solve it for them. Solve it for the crying mother who, who cannot get her crops to grow, who weeps at night because she cannot feed her kids. Solve it for her. Solve the fertilizer, solve the tools, make sure that they can grow and earn a great income and, and that they have time to invest into the sacredness of what we stole from them, you know, and then that will come back to us, you know, just it, it's very circular consciousness, what we're eating. Uh, and I, I think, you know, we've, we've lost the joy of all of it. And that's what Ibiza reminded me when I came out of COVID. I came here, I was like, what is this place? Mm -hmm. It was nothing like what I saw in the South. Mm -hmm. I was like, in the North, I was like, oh my God, mm -hmm. the community, the dancing, mm -hmm. all these amazing conscious souls. Mm -hmm. Wow. Very good. We are now past the hour. Um, this has been great. We touched on many things. Um, maybe next time I want to... We're going to have you back and talk a little bit about Tantra and classic Tantra and sexuality and the link with spirituality. Um, for now, I would like to wrap it up here. Is there, um, for people that want to know more about you or about the themes you talked about, the link between um, personal awakening and, and, and global solution and, and global renaissance and personal development, what what uh, resource would you recommend in terms of you know your own website or to the books that really affect you or to the yeah. documentary or to the podcast uh the truth is for two years i i i stopped speaking mm -hmm. uh publicly or uh sharing my voice in thank this you way. for coming to us then <laughs> yeah you know what it was like uh, many times you had to ask yeah, and then it wasn't eventually... easy it wasn't <laughs> easy to bring him here yeah yeah and and um 
So this is the first time in in in, in two years that I've I've really uh, spoken, and you know what I would say and and share with you, and I, I look forward to sharing more. Um, these things that that Giancarlo is is digging into that the that the very essence of life. Uh, when he mentions uh, psychedelics, the doorway to divine, when he mentions uh, tantra, conscious sexuality, you're talking about the deepest rivers of oneness, of ecstasy, of unimaginable love that you can experience. And the fact that these two doors were denied us due to dogma for so many decades is where things need to break, where they need to change. We need to openly dialogue. We need to share our secrets, you know? And I, I hold many secrets. That, that was my, my role uh, for many years, uh, a guardian of, of, of the mysteries, a guardian of, of many things. But I feel safe here now. I, I, feel, I feel it's time to give and to give as much as I can possibly give uh, because this can help people in their lives to have better lives. And, and, and I, I think that's the spirit of Ibiza. Amazing. That's a great conclusion. Thank you very much, David. Um, if people want to know about your work, about the World Indigenous Forum, do you want to share a link, a URL? At the moment, um, everything uh, we are keeping uh, uh, quiet and we hope to show by our actions in the coming months, probably at COP27 in Egypt, in Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, that's the first uh, time we're going to be making uh, an announcement. When, when is that? That's in November uh, 2022. Okay, so. great. So expect David back on the podcast in never, no, December this year for an update. Thank you very much. Thank you. Koka sunarai sunarai enti 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 Koka sunarai sunarai enti